And the reading today is from Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 22. I'll just leave some time for you to find it. That's Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 22. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John and, because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness, shown to a man who was lame and being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to no longer speak to anyone in his name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them, because all the people were praising God for what happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Well, morning, everyone. My name is Rich. I'm the Youth and Families Minister at Holy Cross Church. On my board next to me here, we've got the memory verse from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that the Families Ministry have been looking at each Sunday by Sunday, and they'll be looking at it again today. And you might notice Buzz Lightyear there as well. He's been somewhat of a mascot for us in the Families Ministry. Just like he's in Toy Story, he says, to infinity and beyond, Well, we've been seeing how the book of Acts is all about how the good news of Jesus goes to Jerusalem and beyond. And in Acts chapter 4, we're going to see today how the good news is continuing to spread despite persecution against God's people. Let's pray and ask him to help us understand more 
of what he wants us to know today. Father, please would you show us more of Jesus and please we pray would we find Jesus so glorious and so wonderful that we want to boldly proclaim his name even in the face of opposition. For Jesus' namesake. Amen. Well, how do you feel about your name? Now, I want to make something very clear from the start. I am very much a rich and not a Richard. At the risk of giving plenty of you more ways to wind me up, I really would prefer you to call me rich and not Richard. Some of you might have the game Guess Who?, uh, it's gone for a few changes, but the original game had someone called Richard in it. And he was uh, a pasty looking man with a bald head and a bushy brown beard. And ever since then, I've just always associated the name Richard with middle-aged men. And so I'd really rather prefer to be called Rich. Quite what's going to happen once I've become middle-aged myself, I don't know, we cross that bridge. Well, that's me, but what about you? How do you feel about your name? Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. Maybe you're not really bothered. Well, that's not a hugely important question, but let me ask you another one that is. How do you feel about the name Jesus? See, in Acts chapter 4, this phrase or this idea of the name of Jesus is, is all over the place. Do count, count how many times it comes up later on. And in the Bible, the, a name is, is normally more than just kind of what you call someone, you know, like Rich or Richard. It represents all that someone is and does. And so the name of Jesus represents the person of Jesus. So how do you feel about the name Jesus? And more specifically, how do you feel about speaking the name Jesus? If you're a Christian, I'm sure the name Jesus is glorious and wonderful to you and you long to share him with other people but at the same time there's also this kind of nervousness perhaps something that is just a bit unnerving about actually speaking the name Jesus to friends, family, colleagues I heard a story of a London taxi driver who became a Christian and suddenly he was aware of loads of opportunities to speak about his faith with people that came in and out his cab but of course he also knew that there wasn't much time with, with any one person and so he went to his pastor and asked for some advice and they gave him some really good advice all, all this pastor said was just talk about Jesus as much as you can so this cab driver went off and he did that I guess for a week or so and then he came back to his pastor and he said things definitely get weirder much quicker when you mention the name Jesus maybe that resonates with us we we might be all right with generally talking about our faith or our church or even God but actually to say the name Jesus well that's when things get a bit weird I've got two small children both boys and both loud and often their conversations can turn into what I can only describe as a shout fest and often I have to say to them, boys, just turn the volume down a bit. Turn the volume down a bit. Or maybe we can feel the pressure to turn the volume down a bit on the Jesus chat. Because it's weird. 
because we know people won't like it. Last week in Acts chapter 3, we saw that Peter and John did a truly astounding miracle in healing this man who hadn't been able to walk since birth. But the more astounding thing is the person, the name of Jesus. He's the one who this miracle pointed to. He was the one who enabled Peter and John to do it in the first place. The name of Jesus was so glorious and wonderful to Peter and John that they proclaim him. But as they did that, they faced pressure to turn the volume down on him. And as we look at Acts 4 together this morning, I hope the name of Jesus will become a little bit more glorious and wonderful to us, so that we are encouraged to proclaim his name. And I hope that we're encouraged to do that even when we feel the pressure to turn down the volume on him a little bit. We're going to see three things. And here's the first thing. Proclaiming the name of Jesus brings persecution. Proclaiming the name of Jesus brings persecution. This passage is a bit like a sandwich. The bread is, is the opposition and persecution that John and Peter face. And the meaty filling, or, or the cheese and pickle if you prefer, is the sermon that Peter gives. That's the really good stuff that we'll get to in a moment. But first let's look at the bread. This truly astounding miracle has drawn lots of attention. And so this group of people, the Sadducees, the priests, and this guy called the captain of the temple of the God, who was like the high priest's right-hand man, they rock up to Peter and John while they're still proclaiming the name of Jesus. And they don't like what they hear. And look at verse 2. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They were unhappy because Peter and John were teaching. And that was their job. And they were unhappy because Peter and John were teaching about Jesus. And they hated Jesus. And they were unhappy because that they were teaching about future resurrection. Like so many people today, the Sadducees didn't believe in an afterlife. Maybe you felt the pressure to turn down the volume on this exact, on this exact point. Don't talk to me about heaven and eternal life and about judgment and resurrection. What nonsense. Well, verse 3, they seized Peter and John, and they put them in prison until the next day. That's certainly a quick way to turn down the volume on the Jesus chat, isn't it? And of course, people today are still trying to silence Christians by putting them in prison. There was a Chinese pastor who in December was jailed for nine years just because he spoke about Jesus. We've got to be praying for our brothers and sisters across the world. Well, after Peter and John spend the night in prison, verse 5, they're brought before the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law. That is the Sanhedrin, the, the Jewish high court, made up of 71 members of the religious elites. The high priests are others related to him, and a whole bunch of other bigwigs are here. I mean, these are the, this is a big deal. This is an intimidating group, many of whom were directly involved in the trial and execution of Jesus. So Peter and John are unlikely to find any justice here. But despite the pressure to turn down the volume a bit, Peter proclaims the name of Jesus. 
That's the meat, remember, the, or the cheese and pickle. And I promise you, well, we, we will feast on it in a while. But after this sermon, the Sanhedrin, they still don't like what they hear. And so they, they form a committee meeting and they decide what to do with Peter and John. Have a look at verse 17. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Do you see? Pressure to turn down the volume on Jesus. They've already spent one night locked up. All they need to do to avoid any more time behind bars is just to stay quiet. Now, of course, we probably won't face jail time, at least not at the moment, for making Jesus known. But nonetheless, people still want us to be quiet. The pressure to turn down the volume on the Jesus chat is everywhere. Your boss says to you that when you're in the office, and even when you're out for work drinks, leave that Jesus talk at home or, or with somewhere else. Don't bring it with you. Your unbelieving spouse, your family member, says to you, that's your thing. Don't talk to me about what you believe in my house. For you young people, if you can remember as far back as life before lockdown, maybe you had moments at school where you said something about what you believed and your teacher says, please don't say something like that again. Or your mates laugh at you because of what you say and believe. Now it's right to say that lockdown perhaps has given us many new ways and opportunities to to proclaim the name of Jesus and we should rejoice and thank God for that. But we need to be realistic about what to expect. Proclaiming the name of Jesus will bring some persecution. We won't be popular if we keep the volume up. We won't have a comfy life if we keep the volume up. And you know, it's really easy for me to convince myself that I need to stay quiet. Oh, I don't have time to explain it all now. They might misunderstand me. I I don't have all the answers. What if I offend them? See, people will want us to turn down the volume on Jesus. And we will feel the pressure to do so. But that's not what Peter and John do. They turn the volume up. Peter keeps proclaiming the name of Jesus, despite having spent a night in jail. Despite what else it might mean for him and for John. Why? Well, because he knows the name of Jesus is glorious and wonderful and worth speaking about. And so that's the next thing we're going to get to. Let's get into the the really tasty bit of the sandwich. I hope you're hungry. Here's the second thing. Only the name of Jesus brings salvation. Only the name of Jesus brings salvation. I wonder if you've ever tried to uh, speak about Jesus to friends, but you're just never sure how to slip him into a conversation. Well, very occasionally you might get an opportunity where you're asked the question and it's absolute gold dust. It's just a no-brainer how to get to Jesus. Well, the Sanhedrin asked a question like that in verse 7. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? That is the healing of the lame man. 
Now their question reveals their foolishness. They're, they're supposedly experts of the scriptures and yet they're clueless about the power and authority of Jesus. But the question is such gold dust for Peter, he can't pass up on the opportunity. And I love verse 9. It's like he says, so let me get this clear. You've had the two of us banged up. And now called in front of you 71 members of the religious elite because we've been kind to a man who couldn't walk. And you want to know who's healed him? Some advice I was once given, which I would have loved to have given that London taxi driver, is not just to talk about Jesus as much as you can, but, but to get to Jesus as quickly as you can. And that's what Peter does here in his speech. His sermon is like a good film that builds and builds until BAM! Finally, the moment arrives that everything has been heading towards. And so grab the popcorn and let's watch this movie scene unfold. Verse 10, Peter says, it's by the name of Jesus that this man is healed. Still in verse 10, Peter says, that is the same Jesus whom you crucified. Again, verse 10, Peter says, God has raised this Jesus back to life again. And then verse 11, Peter quoting from Psalm 118 says, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. God has made Jesus the, the foundation and the fulfilment of his plan. He is the promised Messiah and yet the people have rejected him. And so do you see Peter's speech is, speech is building and building until BAM! The key moment that everything's been heading towards arrives. Verse 12. This is the Frodo throwing the ring into Mount Doom moment. Or Thanos being destroyed by the Avengers moment. Have a look with me at it. Peter says, verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Wow. That's some tasty sandwich filling right there. Although some of us might find it hard to stomach. These words of, G uh, of Peter are, are exclusive and serious. And yet they're also amazing. It's exclusive and serious because, well, look at the language. No one else. No other name. No name under heaven. So nowhere else. If it was possible to do a Star Wars thing and, and travel across the galaxy, you still would not find salvation in anyone else other than the name Jesus. You might have come across a classic illustration of a mountain top where God is at the top of it and there are lots and lots of paths up the mountain. And people use that to say that there are lots of ways to God. All paths lead to the same place. Whatever religion, whatever spirituality... It's all the same anyway, so just take your pick. Now that doesn't really fit with Acts 4 verse 12, does it? But the big problem with that illustration isn't that actually there is only one path that leads up the mountain. The problem is that there isn't even a mountain. There's a chasm. See, the thing between us and God isn't a mountain we can climb... It's a chasm that we cannot cross because of our sin and the judgment it deserves. 
So it's not that we try to climb, it's that we need to be brought across. It's not that we choose a path up to God, it's that he needs to send someone down to us. We need salvation. And Peter says that it's only found in the name Jesus. There's a song that we're going to be encouraging the families to sing this morning by awesome cutlery called The Hero. And there's a line in it that says this, Jesus, you're the hero, you're the only one who saves. Jesus, you're the hero, there is power in your name. Now we might wince at that. You can't say that. It's very politically incorrect. Well, yeah, it is. But the message of Jesus has always been politically incorrect. Peter is in the midst of Jewish political establishment, in the place of Jewish political power, and he implies that it's not Jerusalem, not the temple, not their good works, not their religious efforts, not their law-keeping that can save them. Only Jesus. That's pretty un-PC. And so to reject Jesus is to reject the only Saviour. Verse 12 is serious and exclusive, yet it's also amazing, because we need saving. We must be saved, and God has given us what we need. Salvation is only found in Jesus because there is no one like Jesus. He's healed this man. He wants to do good to people and bring life and restoration. He's the Messiah, the cornerstone. He died for sin and rose again to new life. That is not true of anyone else in history. Jesus is uniquely qualified to be the unique saviour. Can I say that if you're of a different um, persuasion in terms of your belief, if you're from a different faith, or or you believe something else, or you're just not sure what you believe, if anything. It is so good that you tuned in this morning. What an honour to have you join us. I want you to be really clear that we believe what we believe about the claim of Jesus because of what we believe about the person, Jesus. And so please do keep investigating the person of Jesus. There's an online alpha course running right at, right now that you can sign up to to get to know uh, what the Bible says more about the person of Jesus. Well, if you are a believer, though, then look again at the only name that saves. Isn't he glorious? Isn't he wonderful? Be encouraged that you are trusting in God's only appointed saviour. Be confident that you are doing the right thing in following Jesus, because only his name brings salvation. And be certain that you are safe in him. You've been brought across. Your sin and the judgment it deserves has been dealt with. You've been saved. And when you feel the pressure to turn down the volume on Jesus a bit, Well, just look at who you have a chance to speak about. He is so glorious and so wonderful. He's worth turning the volume up on, isn't he? And that leads us to the last thing. Keep proclaiming the name of Jesus despite persecution. Keep proclaiming the name of Jesus 
despite persecution. Some of you might be adrenaline junkies. You know, you're into extreme sports and stuff like that. And I kind of get that. But there are people that take it a bit too far, aren't there? I don't know if you've ever come across extreme ironing. It's where people find all these scary and dangerous places to get the ironing board out and do some ironing with. Now, I'm rubbish at ironing, and I wonder if maybe I should take this up as a hobby. It might mean that maybe the sheer fear will help me get those creases out. I've got no idea. But we might think that speaking of Jesus in the face of persecution is only for the spiritual equivalent of extreme ironers. You know, people like Peter and John, who are a bit fearless, maybe a bit reckless, silly enough to throw themselves into danger. But we've seen all the way through Acts so far that all of God's people are involved in the mission of making Jesus known. And although we might fear the danger, this passage gives us some encouragements to, to courageously keep proclaiming his name despite persecution so firstly be encouraged you have help you have help in verse 8 Peter courageously speaks about Jesus because he's filled with the Holy Spirit and if you're a believer you have the same Holy Spirit you're not on your own when you face the pressure to turn down the volume a bit on Jesus ask God to help you by his spirit to be courageous like Peter we can have courage to speak for Jesus because his spirit is in us helping us secondly be encouraged you know enough you know enough see sometimes we feel like we need to have a theology degree or or years of Christian experience or or kind of uh, loads and loads of paper to say that we're kind of professionals before we can say anything about Jesus that's useful. But in verse 13, Peter and John are described as unschooled, ordinary men. They have no formal theological education, and and yet they have a much better handle on truth and reality than these so-called experts do. So what's Peter's secret? Well, verse 13 says, The Sanhedrin took note that these men had been with Jesus. They hung out with Jesus. They were friends with Jesus. They knew Jesus. If the name of Jesus is glorious and wonderful to you, if you're wanting to get to know him more day by day, if you're spending time with him, then you already are qualified to speak about him. When you're tempted to turn down the volume on him, maybe because you don't think you have all the answers, Well, be encouraged. You know enough. Because you know him. And then thirdly, be encouraged. God will have his way. God will have his way. The Sanhedrin have tried to silence Peter and John. But verse uh, verse 19, sorry, they reply, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. Of course, Peter and John are going to obey God, aren't they? Of course they are. And so they will keep proclaiming the name of him, of his, of God's chosen appointed saviour, Jesus. They're going to do that regardless of what these other people say. Because they're doing what God says. Now the Sanhedrin, they, they are an intimidating group. 
They do have some authority and power. But they are no match for the living God, who, as we'll see next week from chapter 4, verse 24, is the sovereign Lord who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. A friend of mine said that this is like a chihuahua trying to take on an Alsatian. The Sanhedrin bring their yap, 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 yapity yaps against God and his people. But it's like Peter and John say, do your worst. We know we're doing the right thing. This is God's work. We're on his side and, and he will have his way despite your efforts to silence us. And so, verse 20, these brave apostles say these amazing words. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. You can't turn the volume down on us. I wonder what you love speaking about. For me, so often, it's, it's football. Just with so many people I know, the, the conversations quickly becomes about football. There seems to be something automatic in me which I just can't help speaking about it. Well, wouldn't it be great if you and I could say the same is true about the name of Jesus? You can't turn the volume down on us. And I love how stupid this religious elite is left looking by these two ordinary blokes. Verse 14, but since they could see the man who'd been healed standing right there with them, there was nothing they could say. Verse 21, after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Here was a man in his 40s who everyone knew about, who'd been paralysed from birth and was now standing before their very eyes as a visual aid backing up everything Peter and John were saying. And so all the Sanhedrin can do is just listen to the people praising God for it. They weren't in charge here. The God of the universe was in charge. He will have his way as his people proclaim the name of his appointed saviour. We'll flip back to verse 4. We, we missed out, uh, it out earlier. Verse 4, but many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. That's not including women and children. Despite the persecution, God's church grows. So how do you feel about the name of Jesus? I hope he's become more glorious and more wonderful for you this morning. I hope you say that, see that he's a name worth proclaiming rather than turning the volume down a bit. And I hope you've been encouraged to do that. Because however much people try and put the pressure on us to turn the volume down, nothing can stop God from doing what he's doing in bringing people under the one and only name of his one and only saviour, Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Jesus, our Saviour. He is glorious. He is wonderful. Give us courage to keep proclaiming his name, we ask. Amen.